I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions that can get thrown out there. Like if someone says they deadlift three times a week, you'll probably get, you know, some, some crazy stares from people. Um, and I think you can adapt to those higher frequencies and intensities. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Charlie Dixon, a doctor of physical therapy and elite powerlifter. Charlie is the 2018 International Powerlifting Federation's Junior World Champion at 83 kilograms. And to put it lightly, he's just getting warmed up. In today's episode, we chat about blending Charlie's experience as a physical therapist with his performance in powerlifting, along with his biggest lessons on training duration, volume, and which accessory movements get lifters the most bang for their buck. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbend newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbend.com slash newsletter to become the smartest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Charlie Dixon, thanks so much for joining us today. I've been following along with your training a little more closely than normal in preparation for this podcast. So I'm going to start with how are you feeling? How's training going? And I know there have been a lot of event postponements and cancellations, but do you have anything specific that you're training for right now? Yeah. So first off, David, thanks for bringing me on the show. Very honored to be on the podcast. Uh, so right now I'm coming off the Arnold, which I competed at the beginning of March and of course life has changed dramatically for pretty much everyone at this point. So you have gym closures and all those sorts of things. So uh, luckily, I have a, a friend who uh, lives about 30 minutes away who has his own home gym, who's allowed me to come train there. And uh, right now, I'm just kind of just staying ready. You know, I've always just enjoyed the process of training. And, you know, it's hard to tell at this point when another meet, you know, with everything getting canceled and pushed back, you know, the, the goal is to, to train for nationals, uh, which is planned for October. But, um, you know, it's looking like that might get pushed back a little bit because they moved IPF worlds to the end of September. So, uh, right now just trying to stay ready and just having fun with the process, man. Well, I've talked to a lot of different strength athletes during the age of quarantine or social distancing or whatever you call it, and a lot of them are using it as an opportunity to address nagging injuries, work on certain deficiencies, prioritize mobility, recovery, you name it. Is there anything in particular that this period of time is giving you a little bit of extra focus on? Yeah, it's it's certainly allowed me to not have to push the intensity as much. Um, I tend to get pretty banged up peaking for meets and, you know, working in that 85% plus uh, range of, you know, one rep max. So uh, being able to dial things back and really just focus on building up some work capacity, um, doing some more variations, you know, lateral work, those sorts of things. Um, I, I've definitely been more of an emphasis in this downtime. So definitely taking advantage of that. 
And I also have to ask, because a few people have given me different answers on this, uh, a lot of folks think that this is a fantastic time to make either that weight cut or bulk that they've been planning for years because they don't have any competitions coming up immediately. How, how has that factored into your thought process here? Are you, are you sticking in the same weight class for the duration? Yes, I actually moved up to the 93 kilo class uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Oh, I was. I'm sorry. I still had you pegged as an 83 kilogram lifter. That's that's my apologies. Instagram just m- makes you look skinny. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually moved up after uh, IPF Worlds uh, in June of 2018 because uh, I, I was d- cutting like you know 12, 13 pounds to to make that weight. Um, doing a water cut, that is. Um, so at that point, you know, I was ready to to move up a weight class and been in the 93s ever since. How is that? Uh, I mean, how is that body weight uh, feeling right now? It's been great, man. It's uh, I've definitely gotten a lot stronger. I've noticed that my performances have been more consistent from training and in, going into the meet, and then my actual performance on meet day. Um, so there's a lot more consistency there. Don't have to worry about you know modifying attempt selection all that much. Um, generally, I just feel like I'm able to recover a little bit better um, and. Like I said, performance has went through the roof. Uh, so right now, uh, you know, with this extra downtime, really just trying to fill out the weight class. I uh, walk around at like 207 to 208 right now. So I'd like to get up to maybe uh, 213 to 215, somewhere in there, and then water cut down to, to 205. That's more of a longer-term plan, though. Are you someone who follows a particular nutritional protocol, dietary framework, anything like that? Uh, so I, I've always – I started tracking – uh, calories and macros when like 2011, uh, cause I, I have a wrestling background. So used to the weight class restricted sport. Um, so I've always had a pretty good habit of tracking my intake and, uh, making sure to hit certain targets. So, um, I would, if I had to call it anything, it's kind of like a flexible dieting approach. Makes sense. Yep. Uh, one thing I have to ask, as far as the timeline of your career, and, and we talked a little bit more about your accomplishments in the intro to this, so I don't necessarily need to harp on all of all of those at the international level, but you are a, a student, you're, you're currently working on your, your doctorate of, of physical therapy, is that correct? That's correct. So which came first, it sounds like you've been athletic for a long time, you have that wrestling background, which came first, your interest in, in strength sports and powerlifting, or your interest in pursuing that career path? So I'm going to back up a little bit. I think I just had an interest for lifting weights and, and being athletic. Uh, I grew up with two older brothers who um, were very uh, talented and very hardworking and uh, both competed in uh, football and wrestling. So seeing their example growing up, I naturally gravitated towards that. Started lifting weights when I was around 12 years old to get bigger and stronger for, for sports. And I, I fell in love with that process. And I, I had a few injuries along the way. Um, I had a meniscectomy in my right knee when I was a freshman in high school. And I think that really sparked my interest in the, the rehab side of things. And also you know, different strength and conditioning principles, because it really forced me to take a step back and reflect on how can I do this better. And it made me very, very curious and wanted to learn more. And I think that's sort of how I gravitated towards pursuing physical therapy as a career path. Were, were there any particular people in the realm of physical therapy uh, who might have inspired you or, or who you look up to in particular today? 
Yeah, so uh, you guys have had uh, Chad Wesley Smith on with uh, Juggernaut Training Systems. So I remember watching one of their videos, and he brought on Quinn Hennock um, onto his YouTube channel way back when. And I remember seeing how he sort of approached rehab and his thought process, um, and it very much blended strength and conditioning into the rehab process. And I think that's really the vision I kind of had for myself. I related to it in a lot of ways, and uh, that that's someone who really sparked my interest in the beginning. And now that you are, you know, working to build up the education necessary for, for a clinical practice, is there anyone you've, you've gotten to work with so far who has really changed your perception or influenced you in a positive way in that industry or in that particular niche of the fitness industry? Yeah, absolutely. I've had the, uh, the opportunity to work with barbell medicine as a, intern for their pain and rehab division. Uh, so I've been doing that for the past year and a half. Um, so my two mentors, Dr. Derek Miles and Dr. Michael Ray, um, they run the pain and rehab division. And they, they've really taught me a ton. I've been able to sit in a lot of the consults they do through, uh, remotely. And seeing how they approach the rehab process and address it, different narratives that people have been provided um, in order to get them moving back towards their goals um, that, that's been really helpful. And of course, uh, Jordan Feigenbaum and Austin Brocky, those two as well. Um, they, they put out a lot of free educational content on the website, the podcast, uh, Bartle medicine podcast that is, and, um, they have been very, very helpful in, uh, helping me to develop as a, a clinician. Now you're in a it's not a unique position because there there certainly are physical therapists and, and doctors of physical therapy who are active in strength sports, weightlifters, powerlifters, you name it. What has your education so far in physical therapy or how has your education in physical therapy influenced your approach to powerlifting and strength training if at all? It's definitely changed the way I it's made me a little more objective in the way I approach training and being more cognizant of load management. Um, so when I first started in the sport, as I'm sure most people are, especially if you have that all in personality, you try to go as hard as you can, as fast as you can and make as much progress and win a world champion tomorrow championship tomorrow. And that's sort of the mentality I had going into it. And, uh, I would just kind of beat myself up and do as much volume and intensity as I could. And it worked for a little while, and then you start to run into different injuries, and you get set back. And um, I think I have more of an appreciation for paying attention to some of those programming variables, and also including some more variations aside from just the squat bench and deadlift. You know, changing it up, especially at a time like this where there's no meets on the horizon, you can explore different movement options and uh, build up capacity in different ranges of motion and those sorts of things. So. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have I have follow-ups, so I think that was a, a great answer. I'm going to yeah. dig a little deeper here. Yeah. What are some? What are some? You talk about pushing too hard, mm-hmm. looking for immediate results, and and maybe ramping up intensity too quickly for people who are new to strength sports. Powerlifting being one example, but you know, of course, that could probably apply across different strength sports or really a lot of different realms of training. What are some other uh, misconceptions, or maybe what are some other areas where? our objectivity breaks down as athletes assessing our own performance and our own training. I would say the use of RPE, a lot of people that that's an easy one to 
to mess up. So that that you've had Eric Helms and, and various other people, I'm sure, talk about it here on the podcast. But I, I think if you utilize an RPE based approach, you have to. It's probably best if you have a coach who can also look at your training videos and verify, yeah, that was actually an RP of eight. And uh, because it, if you do have that type of personality where you just want to push it all the time, you know, you can grind out like an RP 10 and call it a six, you know, for your own ego or whatever it is. And I've certainly done that. Uh, I've been guilty of that. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing you have to really know yourself and know your, your limitations. And I, I think when you experience setbacks and you experience those failures of, man, I pushed way too hard. Now I'm injured. This sucks. And then you learn from it and you build back up. You, I, I think you almost have to go to the, through that process a little bit before you can fully understand and appreciate how to u- utilize RPE as a, a training tool. Does R- is RPE worth it for most lifters? I, I've heard this from a lot of different perspectives on this, and it's ultimately a scale that tries to add a level of objectivity to a subjective measure in a sense. And, and there are difficulties with it and, and ego factors in, I mean, is it worth it for most lifters to utilize RPE? I think that's one of those questions. It, it depends. I, and I think early on, I would say probably just finding an exercise program that you enjoy doing and that you can be consistent with and building up those habits first and then if you, you know, you start powerlifting, you get very serious about it, you've been doing it a while, um, and you have a coach, then maybe you try to introduce that as a, a training tool. Um, I've certainly found more value in using RPE at this point in my powerlifting career as opposed to early on. Um, and I, I think that's also just having an injury history and knowing, you know, if I push this today or if I stick to this certain percentage, like it's probably not going to end well. What are some alternative methods, especially for newer lifters or maybe less advanced lifters that you think could get a, a similar amount of, of, of data or, or training response, um, but might be good if say someone is not the best equipped to utilize an RPE scale. Uh, how so? Well, okay, say, say you were programming for someone or, or getting someone, say maybe you had a, a cousin or family member or friend who's just getting into powerlifting, mm-hmm. and you think that, hey, ego's going to get in the way of them utilizing the RPE scale early on in their training to actually assess you know, intensity, right? What are some things you might do or might suggest for them to actually keep track of that or you know when you wanted to ramp up intensity or ramp down intensity what are some some other it could be cues other scales other methodologies you might use there yeah that that's also kind of depends on the personality type as you alluded to mm. and i think with that you could simply just say you know especially if they're just starting out like get them to under like undershoot do something that's super easy um, and just kind of get them moving around and it's also different if it's in person versus remotely. Your communication style is going to be a little bit differently. Um, mm-hmm. Working in clinic with patients, for example, using um, RPE, what I would do is, you know, if I have them doing like a, a landmine press, right? I would, you know, start with the bar, ask them how it felt. Oh, it was kind of challenging, and then we'll put on like a ten, and they look like they could do twenty reps, and they do five, and we're like, yeah, I can't do anymore, or I can do one or two more. And then I'll ask them to do it. 
And then they get the seven reps, ask them how many more could you do? Uh, maybe like two. And I get them to do it. And that way you can sort of calibrate the RPE for them. And I think this is where failure in a controlled environment can be useful for someone early on is to get them to know where their failure point actually is. Because a lot of people don't, right? Especially if they have no exercise background and they start uh, lifting weights and they feel a muscle burn, they, they feel like, you know, they're leg's going to fall off. Um, you have to sort of calibrate that system a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about, a little bit about accessory movements. It's, it's something you, you clearly have uh, an interest in working back from, you know, maybe even going back to your own um, injury background, which is, uh, it's all, there's always a silver lining there, right? There's always, the, you, the really good athletes and the really great athletes always try and find a silver lining in, in the recovery and rehab process after injury. What are some of your go-to accessory or rehab movements that, that you utilize yourself in your powerlifting training? Uh, so the, the biggest injury I had was uh, the groin strain. Uh, I had a pretty bad groin strain while I was squatting uh, around this time last year. And uh, the rehab process for that, one of the exercises I like to use is called the uh, Copenhagen plank. Um, you can look that up or Google it, but essentially you're, you're laying on your side. You have one leg propped up on a bench and you kind of bring your legs together, almost like a, a adductor machine. Um, that one is really good that I've implemented for, uh, the adductor strain. Uh, the Nordic hamstring curl is also a, a really good exercise for, uh, helping to mitigate the risk of have, sustaining a hamstring injury. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good data on that. Um, but yeah, the, those those two really come to mind um, as, just from the amount of research that they have behind them at this point. What about uh, in, what about when it comes to you know upper body prehab, rehab, or accessory movements? Any of your go tos there you could talk about? I, I keep it pretty basic. Uh, you know, I'll do of course my powerlifting stuff. So with bench press, um, I like doing barbell overhead press, um, dumbbell press. Um, Nothing too fancy, you know, I just keep it basic and make sure select the loads appropriately and not, um, you know, go to failure on every single set, you know, try to to manage that. And, um, you know, I think if you manage those programming variables, it will take care of a lot of um, a lot of those issues. Let's talk about warm-ups. Mm-hmm. As someone who is making a career out of physical therapy, rehab and, and, and prehab, what does a typical warm-up look like for you, say, maybe heading into a heavy squat session? And you know, do you think powerlifters in general approach warm-ups correctly uh, in your experience training with other people and observing other folks? So I, I don't know that there's a, a correct way to, to warm up. Uh, my approach, it might surprise a lot of people, but I'll, I'll literally go into the gym and I'll take more warm-up sets with the barbell. Um, so especially, you know, having a busy schedule, I'll go in and I'll just take the bar for a tempo set of five to 10 and I'll do four to five sets like that. And the first set's always not going to feel great. And it usually takes a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I, will just take more warm up sets leading up to my top sets. Um, and I get more practice with the movements and I'll also get a lot of the same benefits you would get from a more non-specific warm up as far as uh, increasing body temperature and all those sorts of things. Um, so I keep the warmups really simple. And I think, you know, you get more practice with the movement that way too. 
So you're very much in the just grease the groove a lot camp when it comes to warming up personally. Yeah, and that, that's that's my own personal approach. And like I said, I, I don't know that there's a correct way to do it. You just have to ask yourself, is the way I'm approaching this, has it been resourceful for me? And um, if the answer is yes, then just continue on. Well, let's talk about training volume. What does a typical week of, uh, of workouts look for you uh, right now during a phase when, when you're not really necessarily peaking and maybe your intensity isn't, isn't as high as, say, it would be 12 weeks out from a competition? Yeah, so right now, squatting three times a week, benching four times a week, and deadlifting twice a week. Um, rep ranges and kind of working more um, in the like six to eight range, five to eight range. I'll, I'll include some top end intensity stuff in there just to kind of keep that, keep greasing the groove, so to speak. Um, so doing like some heavy sets of three to five, like one or two of those, and then doing, doing some back off sets to accumulate some volume. Um, I, I've always liked that approach. I've done the approach where you you're very strict. If you're in a volume block, you just do like sets of six to 12 and then you transition to a higher intensity block and you're doing like sets of three to five. I I found that keeping some type of higher intensity work, even if it's just like one set before you do your volume work, I I find it that makes that transition a little bit easier um, as you start to ramp things up for a peak. You mentioned benching four times a week. That's uh, that seems slightly above what a lot of listeners might see as as normal. Obviously, you're at the internationally elite level. Your your body has uh, adapted to a certain level of volume. But benching four times a week. Let's take us through what a typical bench week looks looks like for you. And is that frequency of that movement? Uh, reducing or are you dialing frequency back if you up intensity on that movement are you keeping it pretty much four times a week bench leading up to a competition yeah leading up to a competition we'll we'll probably take it down to three times a week uh but right now there's a there's a lot of variation so i'll do comp bench uh one day feet up bench another day close grip um so there's certainly some variation in there and the volume is, is spread out more sporadically. So it's not, you know, super high volume on one day. Um, you know, anywhere from like two to three sets and maybe like a top set on one or two of those days. Um, so I w- although it's higher frequency, the, the volume is spread out pretty evenly. And I found I, I can respond pretty well to that. That, that makes a lot of sense. Deadlifting twice a week, how does your body respond to that? And, you know, deadlift is, it's always been for me, the toughest of the power lifts to recover from. If you told me I needed a deadlift anywhere near, you know, 80% twice a week, I'd, I'd probably laugh at you and say that's just not possible with my current, you know, load and intensity volume tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that like for you? I, I've, uh, I would say I've adapted to it. You alluded to, uh, your, your volume and, and intensity tolerance. I, I think it all comes to building up a tolerance to certain training stresses. And, you know, it, I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions that can get thrown out there. Like if someone says they deadlift three times a week, you'll probably get, you know, some, some crazy stares from people. Um, and I think you can adapt to those higher frequencies and intensities. Um, of course, there's going to be a lot of variation between people, but if you build up to that over time, same thing with like the, the benching four times a week. You know, when I first started, it was like one or two times a week. And then you start to plateau and you start to learn some different things. You experiment a little bit. And I, I found that my bench has responded really well to the increased frequency. 
Um, deadlift, I've tried three times a week with the deadlift, and um, it just doesn't really pan out too well. So we keep mm-hmm. it at uh, two times a week. And it's all a learning process, and uh, I think that's what keeps it exciting. Um, you experiment with something, you, you try to assess where things went well, what things could have been better, and then uh, you just keep moving on from there. And that's, that's what makes it so fun, man. <laughs> yeah, even even a sport with just three lifts, uh, people will ask if they're maybe not as familiar with strength sports. You know, powerlifting, it's just three lifts. Weightlifting, it's just two lifts. Doesn't it get boring? And the answer is there's a lot of variation, especially in the training. It's not just you, – you don't get, take up powerlifting or weightlifting just to compete. You actually have to get something – or out of or enjoy the training along the way or else yeah it's going to get pretty boring right i mean all Absolutely. compared to compared to other sports to change the direction of this conversation a little bit you know you've been in the powerlifting game for for a while you've competed across different weight classes had success across different weight classes that's given you exposure to a lot of people in the sport and a lot of competitors in the sport who are some athletes, could be on the men's side, the women's side, could be domestic, could be international, who you look at actively competing today and, and really admire? Uh, Taylor Atwood comes to mind. Uh, just his consistency and his approach uh, to, to competing. Uh, so I remember this was in uh, Atlanta, uh, Raw Nationals 2016. This is when they first started introducing the, the primetime sessions where they you know, select like the top 10 lifters each weight class. And they put them in like an evening session that way to get more viewership and things of that nature. So this is the first year they implemented it. And uh, Taylor and I were in the same primetime session. Here's a weight class below me. And I remember it was supposed to start at 6 p.m. And it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. We actually didn't start lifting until like 9 p.m. And, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm still kind of new to the sport. I'm like, I already took my pre-workout, so I'm like ramped up, ready to go. And I didn't manage my energy very well. And I remember just seeing Taylor. He was super relaxed the whole time and just hyper-focused. And, of course, everyone took a bit of a performance hit, but he was still able to control what he could control and went out and executed. We didn't take our last deadlift until like 1 a.m. And, you know, he's still – I don't think he had his best meet ever, but he still went out, performed it, and won his national title. And I think that was one of the uh, the early examples of someone I wanted to imitate and be like in this sport. Would you also give Taylor the award for best hair? Absolutely, in absolutely, one hundred. It's it's something that I know. Like you can, you, he, Taylor's a. We've done a lot of work with him, and Taylor's a, a very very fun guy. He's got a good sense of humor about everything, but he does take his hair very seriously. So. Uh, <laughs> Taylor, if you're listening to this, and I know it's likely that you are, uh, mad respect for both your powerlifting skills and uh, and your and your personal grooming. Um, what about on the women's side? Is, is there anyone competing today who who you look at and you really admire for could be their consistency, their approach, just their results? Uh, Samantha Calhoun, she's uh, someone I, I've always admired and respected. Um, she's a very consistent lifter. Um, Kristen Dunsmore is another one. She just came off of a, uh, a pretty uh, significant uh, glute tendinopathy, I believe it was. And uh, she came back to Arnold and came back and competed. And I always have respect for people who, when they go through an injury or they go through a series of setbacks and they're able to kind of brush themselves off and break things back together and come out and perform again. Um, I've always admired that as well. So uh, those two come to mind right off the bat. 
Great. And uh, Charlie, I, I have to say, you know, we're kind of coming up toward the end of this recording today. Where is the best place for people to follow along with the work you're doing, both in your budding career as a physical therapist, but also, you know, your, your training, uh, upcoming competitions, though it may be those might be a little bit down the road and, and things like that. Yeah, Instagram is probably the, the best place. Uh, and that's you can find me. Uh, it's Charlie underscore Barbell Medicine. Uh, my email is uh, also charlie at barbellmedicine.com. So those two places will be a good place to find me. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, Charlie Dixon, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Best of luck in training. And once the competition calendar ramps up a little bit later this year, uh, I, I think I speak for a lot of us when I say I'm, I'm excited to see you back on the platform. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for bringing me on. 